One of the things that most kids love to do is to go to an amusement park with cool rides, places like Walt Disney World or Universal Studios. Um, if you're someone who lives in the Minnesota area, one of the amusement parks or the main amusement park in our area is called Valley Fair. And remember some years ago when one of our kids had an opportunity to go to Valley Fair on a school field trip? And as you can imagine, it was something that he was looking forward to. I mean, who would not want to go to Valley Fair for a field trip? Not only do you get out of classes, but you also get to go on some cool rides. And remember that evening when he came home from the trip, I had a chance to sit down with him and asked him how his day was. And I was expecting him to go on and on about how great it was, maybe give me some details about the rides. But instead, when I asked him how the day was, he gave me one of these. It was okay. I think he had the shoulder shrug too. It was okay. And I'm thinking, just okay? It was okay? He went on to explain to me that the field trip to Valley Fair was connected to also a classroom project. It was a math class or a physics class. And so the problems they had to solve throughout the day took way longer and were much harder than any of the students had thought they would be. And so he was at Valley Fair, and yet for most of the time that he was there, he was not able to really enjoy the park or even go on all the rides that he wanted to go on. Now, that's just a quick example from one day at Valley Fair. But I think it illustrates something that's true also about the journey of life. It's our first fill-in for today, that there's a journey beneath life's journey. Here's what I mean. There's a journey that we go on physically. For those students, it was Valley Fair. For you and I, it's the home where we live, the community in which we live, the school we go to, the place that we work, where we're at physically. But then, at the very same time, there's this other journey that we're on that has nothing to do with where we're physically, but has to do with the focus of our hearts. It's the journey of our focus. It's the journey of our minds. And sometimes the truth is that the location of your mind is more important than the location of your feet. That the location of your mind is sometimes more important than the location of your feet. Here's the thing. You probably know some people who have had to go through some very difficult life circumstances. Uh, maybe it's uh, some health challenges, relational tr challenges, financial things. Um, their physical location in life is one that's not great. But at the very same time, those same people have an optimism that just surprises you. There's a joy about them, and it's a joy to be around them. Well, at the very same time, you might know some people who have pretty much the best this life has to offer, and yet they always seem to be in a bad mood and crabby about something. You see, there's the journey of our feet, 
there's the, the places that life takes us physically, but then there's also this journey beneath life's journey, the journey of our heart and our mind. And the reason why I'm talking about this today is that we're in a season of the year where all of us in one way or another are dealing with this. We're dealing with transition. Uh, if you're someone who lives in the state of Minnesota, you and I know that the state fair is kind of the signal that there's going to be transition. We're transitioning from summer into fall, from the summer schedule into the school schedule, um, from time at the lake to um, not time at the lake. And that's just one transition. Um, our lives are filled with these times of transition. In fact, I have a whole list of them here for you. Uh, maybe you are transitioning right now into a, a new class, a new school. Uh, maybe you're going from high school into college for the first time. Uh, maybe you've recently had a new job or moved into a new home. Marriage is a transition from living by yourself to living with someone else. Um, a baby or having a child is a transition. Having a second one or a third or a fourth, of course, transitions. Empty nest, uh, retirement. I'm guessing that every single person listening to this message has uh, been recently in one of these or is recently coming out of one of these. And when it comes to transition... I think it's good for us to know and to just recognize that even good transitions cause stress. Even transitions you're looking forward to cause challenges and difficulties. You don't know exactly how life is going to go on the other side of the transition. So it's good for us to talk about it. Because I think there's some encouragement that all of us can have as we journey through life and maybe don't exactly know what's next. There's some words of encouragement that I want to give to you to think about whatever season or transition you might be in. You see, we can't always control where life's journey will take us, but there are definitely things we can remember along the way. Now, for our encouragement and for our direction today, we're going to turn to an event that happened in the middle of Jesus' three-year ministry here on earth. Um, I want to give you a little bit of context around it. So when this event happened, uh, Jesus had just recently gotten news that his cousin and also good friend John the Baptist had just been executed. So Jesus is trying to process all of that. In fact, we read that what he wanted to do was go to a mountainside by himself for thought and prayer. But the problem is there was a group of people that followed him, a small group numbering over 5,000 people, so not so small. And it says that Jesus, although wanting time to himself, had compassion on these people. He spent time with them, and actually he fed them, fed over 5,000 people with five loaves of bread and two fish. Well, that evening is where we pick it up in Matthew chapter 14. Jesus has just fed 5,000 plus people, and 
we turn to Matthew 14. Immediately after the feeding, Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he, Jesus, dismissed the crowd. So the first thing we see here is the word in yellow. Um, Jesus made the disciples get in the boat. I did some looking at that word in the original in the Greek, and other good words for it is that Jesus um, compelled the disciples, or even stronger, he forced the disciples to get into the boat. Now, we're not exactly sure how this worked. I mean, was it like uh, parents trying to get their kids to do chores during the summer and the disciples were kicking and screaming all the way? Or did they just very willingly get into the boat, but understood exactly what Jesus wanted them to do? We're not sure, but it made me think sometimes we'd like to know and hear God tell us exactly what we're supposed to do next in life. The disciples had that opportunity. And what Jesus wanted them to do was get in the boat. Verse 23. So after he dismissed the crowd, then Jesus went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land. It was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So Jesus finally gets that little bit of time for prayer and and talking with his heavenly father. So that's a good thing. The crowd disperses and the disciples in the boat are asked to row across the Sea of Galilee. And as they do, we read that they hit a storm. They're rowing across the sea And the waves buffet, crash up against them, make it hard for them to get across. Jesus sends them right into the middle of a storm. In in fact, uh, rowing across the Sea of Galilee, normal conditions would take two to three hours probably. As we read all of these verses, we find that it's the morning of the next day, dawn, and the disciples are still rowing. They're tired, and they're exhausted, and they're rowing. And here's the thing that maybe is a little bit confusing, but really important for us to talk about. The disciples are sent into the water. Jesus made them get into the boat. Jesus told them to row across the water. And Jesus sends them into a storm. Have you ever felt like that's happened to you? That God allowed you or even sent you through a transition of life into another season that felt like you were in the middle of some sort of emotional, relational, financial, or otherwise storm. You know, it's in those moments that so often um, 
we wonder about God's love and about God's grace and about his direction for our lives. We can, in our sinful natures, question God when it comes to his plans for us. Uh, the, the sin in us, the, the doubt in us comes out so much and so often when we're in the midst of the storm, when we're in the midst of difficulties, when the transitions or the journey of life take us into difficult places. But there's something really important I want you to understand about storms and difficulties in life. You see, it's often in the midst of the storm that we grow and learn the most. I want to maybe explain this a little bit more by using an example from parenting. So, I am far from a perfect parent. I probably am able to uh, talk better about what parents should do than actually accomplish it perfectly. But what I, I've recognized is that there are parents, and I have a little bit of this in me too, that when it comes to their children and their navigating of, of life, that if there's a, a problem, let's say, with a coach or a teacher or a classmate, uh, oftentimes parents will want to just swoop in there and save their children from that situation. And they give the teacher a call for even the slightest little thing. And they, they call the parents of the classmate and they just try to protect their children, try to save them from every difficulty and, and hardship. And sometimes that's what good parents do. Sometimes that's exactly what we should do. But at the very same time, a really good parent understands those situations and circumstances where we should let our kids endure a little bit of hardship and difficulty. Um, a good parent understands this, when to save their children from difficulty and when to guide them through it. Now, this is not a perfect science, parents. We're not going to get this right all the time. I think we need to be aware of both sides of this, but here's what we know for sure. Both of these things are important. Both sides of this parenting thing is important. At times we want to save them from difficulty and other times we need to let them walk through it. You know why? Because if our children never walk through difficulty, never have to endure hardship, if we save them all the time, well, they're not gonna be able to learn the way they need to. Because it's in the midst of the storm, it's in the midst of the hardship that we are able to learn. And here's the thing, God knows that too. And he navigates this absolutely perfectly for us. The thing is, we don't always know what he's up to. We don't always understand exactly you know, what he's trying to do in us through the storm. But here's what we know for sure, our second fill-in. That God knows when going through a storm is better for you than going around it. This is the first thing I want you to think about today as you consider where your journey of life might take you through the next transition. And maybe it isn't a good season. Maybe it is harder. But God knows when going through a storm is better for you than going around it. And that's important for us to know because when life's journey takes us right into the storm, as we said, sometimes we can question God's love. We can get frustrated with him. We can give up 
or even be angry at God. He knows what he's doing and he knows exactly what you need. Let's return to the text. Shortly before dawn, so remember, they're rowing all night and now it's like five or six in the morning the next day. Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. And we don't want to quickly gloss over the fact that what's happening, Jesus is walking on the lake. This is not because the Sea of Galilee was frozen or anything else. Jesus, as true God, was doing a miracle here, of course. He was walking right in the midst of the storm. And the thing that really struck me, and the thing that I hope comforts you when you're in the midst of the storm, (laughs) and you think again about the disciples at this point, they've been rowing all night. The waves keep crashing up against them. They're tired, they're exhausted, they are dripping wet, right? It's been a long night. And here comes Jesus. And he's just walking on the water. Um, I'll put it this way. What the disciples are struggling against, what the disciples are struggling against, go back to the next screen, please. Jesus is standing on. Um, It's like Jesus is walking there and walking on the water, and it's like, what storm? Don't fear. I got this. I'm with you. Don't be afraid. Have courage. I'm with you. The disciples have struggled all night. Jesus is walking on the same waters the disciples were struggling against. And as we walk through transitions, as we maybe enter certain storms, another important thing to remember, that journey beneath the journey of life is our third fill-in. Jesus is with you, just like he was with the disciples on the lake. At first, they didn't even realize he was with them, but then they saw him. Jesus is with you, and he's not overwhelmed by your storm. I got this. This is nothing for me. There's nothing right now out of my control. You've been working hard in the storm. You're exhausted. I get that. But I'm with you. And I'm not overwhelmed by your storm. So, what happens next? Well, Peter gives us an amazing example of what it can look like when you journey through life by faith. Next verse. Lord, Peter said, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat. You know, I think 
When you read through the New Testament, it's easy for us to give Peter a hard time because there's so many times where he's, you know, allowing his words to come out before he thinks. You know, he's the one that denied knowing Jesus three times on the the night that Jesus was betrayed. I mean, there's just so much against Peter at times. But, But here for a moment, I want to celebrate Peter's faith. They're on the sea No regular human being has ever walked on water. And Peter's like, hey, um, can I come out by you? And I have to imagine, as it says, he got down out of the boat. That that first step, the disciples must have been like, what is going to happen? He's going to fall right in. And I'm sure Peter wondered too. But in faith, he got out of the boat next the rest of the verse, and he walked on the water and came toward Jesus. Peter, in the midst of the storm, trusted Jesus. And Jesus, in his perfect power, enabled Peter to walk when otherwise he would have sunk. Verse 30, but when Peter saw the wind, when he saw the waves, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. This is one of my favorite sections in the entire Bible, and especially the New Testament, of what it looks like and where our focus should be when it comes to our lives. Do you, do you notice when Peter began to sink physically? It's when his focus came off of his Savior. And what does it say? He saw the wind. It began to look at the circumstances the storm around him. And while that happened to him physically, for you and I, it's exactly what happens emotionally. When we begin to sink emotionally, when we begin to get anxious and worried, so often it is because we have, in those moments, maybe even if it's just for a little while, we have taken our focus off of our Savior who's walking with us through the storm and his promises and his strength and his guidance and instead we've allowed ourselves to be overwhelmed by the circumstances. I want you to really remember this and so maybe this will help. I brought a little object lesson with me to help. So, I don't know if you've ever tried balancing a broom on your hand, but that's what I'm going to try to do right now. And at first, I'm going to do it by looking around and looking at myself. So put it on my hand, and I'm going to look at anything but the broom. I'll try that again. I'm, I'm doing this legitimately, okay? I'm, not allow- I'm, I'm trying to keep it up here, okay? Looking around, looking at myself. It's, it's hard when your focus is around, when it's at yourself. But 
if I were to try to balance this broom and look up, I mean, I could do this all day, I think. We only have so much time, right? I don't want the sermon to go too long. <laughs> but there's a big difference between those two things. Let me ask, as you journey through life, where do your eyes go? Are you looking around? Are you looking at the storm? Are you focused primarily on the circumstances? And if that's the case, it's going to be harder. You're going to feel overwhelmed and anxious, I guarantee it, because so often we don't have the strength in ourselves to get through. But much like that broom, um, much like Peter, when you look up, past the top of a broom, when you look up towards your Lord and Savior, when, when you focus on him and his strength and what he promises, well, it's still a storm. It still will be hard. But you won't sink. He'll hold you up. Number four, as you journey through life, look up at Jesus. As you journey through life, the best thing we could do with our minds and our hearts is look up at Jesus. Focus your eyes on Jesus. Focus your heart on Jesus. Now, Peter is, is sinking, right? I want to close us out today by just having a chance to, to reflect and to just focus on the goodness of our Savior. Verse 31, immediately. Peter begins to sink, I love that word, immediately. Jesus didn't allow Peter to sink very far. He didn't allow him to, you know, swallow a bunch of Sea of Galilee water. I don't know if that's clean or not. But he reached out his hand and caught him. He said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, because Jesus had Peter by the hand, the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. I've read this section a lot. Like I told you, this is one of my favorite sections for a lot of different reasons. But one of the things that I didn't think about as closely until this week as I was studying through it is for Jesus to be able to grab Peter immediately. He had to be close. He had to be within arm's reach. I had always envisioned in my mind that Peter was, you know, 10 feet, 20 feet. He was trying to get over to Jesus, but no, they, they were close. And that's such a great picture for you and me. Because no matter what season you're in, no matter what transition you're going through, Jesus is not far away. He's close. Right there for you and with you and ready to grab your hand. He's promised, surely I'm with you always, 
to the very end of the age. So Jesus, as you journey, is close. And the other thing we see is this, that Jesus is strong. I mean, I don't know exactly how big Peter was, but I mean, normal guy, 150 to 200 pounds, somewhere in that range, right? And Jesus was able just to grab him by the hand and pull him up and pull him in the boat. I mean, that is someone who is strong. I don't know if you've ever felt Jesus like pull you up. Maybe there's a moment in your life that you can point to that you have no other way to explain how you got through it than, than Jesus' hand got you through, that, that Jesus in his strength was, was what helped you through the storm. But even if you've never experienced that, the full amount of Jesus' strength was seen when on the cross he allowed himself to be drowned, so to speak, with your sins and mine, with the sins of the entire world. There was no one there to pull him out, no friends there to help him out. But Jesus, as true God, was able to save himself, was able to rise from the dead and display amazing strength and amazing power. A beautiful picture, first of all, a beautiful picture of the strength that he has and also a beautiful completion of the work of salvation that he's done on our behalf. I don't know what transition you're going through, but I'm guessing you're either in one You're heading into one or you're coming out of one because life is filled with transition. And the amazing thing that I want you to take away today is as you walk, you walk with a Savior who is both close and strong. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your presence with us in every season and all the time. Lord, uh, for some of us today, uh, as we study through this section, as we think about storms and transitions, there is something that immediately comes to mind. And I pray that as we considered the, the journey that's beneath the journey, that wherever our feet might take us, that our hearts and minds and focus might be on you, and that through that, we might have the peace that only you can give. Lord, we thank you that you never leave us and forsake us. And for that, Lord, um, we are truly blessed. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.